I'm already regretting ordering this because I've already spoken many times about how much I love beans. And I feel like if I tell everybody how much I love tuna salad, nobody's going to take me seriously as a person who knows anything about food. I think you just have like Midwestern sensibilities. You have a refined palate, but you just, you like, you like the basics. I, okay, that sounds a little better. <laughs> I just like mushy things. I thought, I thought you were going to say if you keep talking about beans, people are going to think that you have gastrointestinal uh, issues going on. I just love to toot. for dinner, Dylan? Yes. What do we have in front of us? That's for you to explain. <laughs> uh, okay. So I think there's some sort of meat burger thing. There's a cheese and broccoli thing. There's a sandwich. And is that elote? That is not... Did I get any of it? So there's... That a, is a sandwich. Yes, there is a sandwich. I hear it. Why don't you take a look at what kind of... Okay, so that's a tuna sandwich. You're correct. You got the tuna sandwich. Nailed it. Yeah. Then the broccoli cheese thing, that's a ranch broccoli salad. Okay. Um, The meat burger... The meat burger. <laughs> is... um. It's a it's a loose meat sandwich. Have you heard that? I've heard that term before. Yeah, we'll talk more about this specific style later. Okay. Um, and the thing that you thought was a lote, you are extremely incorrect, but it's hard to tell. Because there's like a from like a top on it. The uh, it's hard to tell from the setting it's in. It's in a little paper bowl. Oh, it's like a muffin or something. It's a donut. Oh, it's a donut. It's a baked potato donut. Interesting. So, what are we eating? We are eating sandwiches and sides. What is what is what's significant about these? So the, this is a meal of things I thought sounded good from Tribeca's sandwich shop in Avondale, which is a pretty big recent opening. Okay. And I'm really excited to tell you about these foods in more detail, but I'm also really hungry i have never heard of this place so i'm interested let's 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 eat eat it it and then we'll talk about it okay so i want to go and talk about each of the items we ordered one by one actually this time but i do want to just quickly hear overall impressions uh i have a lot of thoughts uh one you know exactly the right sandwich to order me (laughs) i don't i don't like a lot of things but meat and cheese and a good bun is a very good, like, that's a very good thing. for Like, it, it was like I ate, like, somebody's version of a Philly cheesesteak right there. You said, I don't like a lot of things, but meat, cheese, and bun. Yes. I didn't know you didn't like... I mean, I like a lot of things, but as far <laughs> as, like, my favorite sandwiches, because I, like I like a French dip, that's like... Oh, okay. And I like a... Yeah, I always order like I I think like a Philly cheesesteak whenever I can, so but I'll eat a lot of different sandwiches. But like that's like a, that this one was like on like the proportion because it was just me. 
It okay. Was straight up meat. Good to know. I mean, I did order that for you. Um, yeah. I let's talk about that first, then. Okay. So watch out. Sorry, the cat's getting away. Go. Don't knock over the Pepsi. Okay. Um, do you um have you heard of a made right sandwich before? No. M a d e. It's M a i d. Okay. Hyphen R i t e. I haven't heard. Have of Have you heard of Made Right the Diner or? I've heard of Minute Maid. Minute Maid orange juice. Yes. Yes, this sandwich is made by an orange juice company. No, I haven't heard of a Made Right before. Right. So Made Right, I hadn't heard of it before I read about this sandwich. <laughs> so Made Right is describes itself as an American casual dining franchise restaurant chain, and where's it? based out of it's based out of mainly iowa okay so there's 20 locations in iowa there's also five in illinois mostly in the part that's near iowa um two in minnesota which also borders iowa and then three in missouri and one in ohio okay Um, so around these parts so generally midwestern largely in iowa and so made right the restaurant is the originator of this made right sandwich. Oh, okay. And um like I I said before it's a loose meat sandwich which is basically a sandwich with ground beef which on it. Which I feel is the best way to describe a sandwich, a loose meat sandwich. Loose meat. No, I do so it was another way I would describe it is it was like a sloppy joe without like the barbecue sauce or the red sauce or whatever. That's literally the second part of this sentence in my notes after it's a loose meat sandwich is different from a sloppy joe, which has sauce. Right. So that's the difference between a made right and a sloppy joe. They're basically identical. If you're hearing the term loose meat sandwich and you're thinking sloppy joe, the only well, difference is this one doesn't have any I, sauce on it. And I definitely prefer it because I think that, like, I'm not a big, like, messy sauce person. So I like, like, yeah. I'm the, like, you know, I'm the kind of person that orders wings uh, without sauce and then dip it in the sauce. Yes, you're, you said you're the kind of person, you're the only person I know of that does I'm that. I'm the kind of, people do it. That's why they <laughs> offered, that's why they offered th- that. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't, I actually didn't mind it when yeah. I had it because you don't get so messy. Yes, yeah, right. So like, that's my problem. That was always my problem with a sloppy joe is it's messy but this is seems like the perfect solution to that. Yeah, Sloppy Joe is absolutely a knife and fork sandwich. My sister texted me um, recently and she asked me if I could remember the name of... I don't know if this is everywhere or if it's like largely a Pennsylvania cafeteria food, but she was like, what's the sandwich with turkey and gravy on a slice of bread? Well... Is that a thing? It's a hot turkey sandwich. And so oh. when I said that, I was like, this is going to be a very unsatisfying answer because you already <laughs> described it's it. It's a hot turkey. No, we didn't have hot turkey sandwiches. We had the Sloppy Joes. We had, like, a chicken finger sandwich. Like, but then we also had, like, Chick-fil-A would come in once a week. And- right. We never had it with Chick-fil-A. We just had a, it was called chicken filet Uh, but it was a a fried chicken sandwich so this is not any of those this is not something we had (laughs) in my high school cafeteria this is no but you can't think of sloppy joe's without thinking of like it's like one of the things that like you would think 
cafeteria food. Right, absolutely. I, I would expect a sloppy joe in a cafeteria or possibly on a weeknight when yeah. mom and dad are busy. Like a hungry man's meal. Exactly. Um, this one is fancier than that, and I also agree with you. It's nice to just be able to pick it up and eat it. Yeah. I, I, I didn't think when I was ordering it, I didn't envision the similarity with a cheesesteak, but I totally get it because yeah. there was a cheese and onions were the other main ingredients on that sandwich, and then... That says it has yellow mustard and steak sauce aioli rounding it yeah, out. Yeah, the aioli was pretty good. Yeah. Like, I like that. And so lot. it is a very simple sandwich, um, but it was really good. No, it was good. Like, And it was like, again, there's something about like melted cheese and meat and just like a soft bun that like it melts in your mouth. And I'm real, I'm a I'm, I'm big, big fan, big fan. Great. Yeah, so this is called the Made Wrong because it's a version of the Made Right sandwich, uh, okay. but it's not the Made Right restaurant. Um, this sandwich is actually, this is funny tidbit, it's been around since 1926. It was invented by the founder of Made Right, Fred Angel. And the way Made Right describes the invention is on their website, they say, back in 1926, there wasn't anything to do, <laughs> so you had to invent sandwiches it, man, to entertain yourself. A, a tough time where you didn't have video games or your cell phones. So exactly. That's just... like what they said is at a time before cell phones, Fred Angel had to invent a sandwich to keep himself busy. Kids, kids around the country were just <laughs> bored out of their minds, so they were just let's invent sandwiches. <laughs> let's just create sandwiches for funsies. Speaking of Let's move on to the tuna melts. So I like the tuna melt. I'm not. I'm not the biggest. I'm not as. I'm not as high on the tuna melt as I am the the do right. But I, the thing that I liked the most about the tuna melt was that it, there was a, some spice to it. Oh, I liked. I liked the kick. It was so. This was the spicy tuna sandwich, ah. and I did do some little taste tests because it has banana peppers on it. Okay. And so I was wondering if that was carrying. The spiciness, but I think there is also yeah. some spiciness in the tuna salad itself. Banana peppers are not the most, like, heat-heavy, so I would assume they would put some kind of, like, cayenne or something. Yeah, I the... think there's spice in the tuna. And I will say that it's not, like, a super mayo-y tuna sandwich, which I appreciate, because sometimes, like, sometimes you get a tuna melt where it has, like, where you only taste, like, a mayo, or it has, like, more of a mayo texture than you would want. Yeah, 100%. Some three things I like about this sandwich. I agree with you on the tuna salad. I think it's tasty. It's not overly mayo. There's not a lot of like filler of celery, which I don't personally <laughs> like. I prefer my tuna salad with zero celery. I know that's like a big ask for most delis, which love to put celery in tuna. But I think this celery, isn't... celery is just generally a filler. You know? Yeah, this, and there's not, it's not intrusive. There's not, there is a little celery, but I'm not like feeling like I'm eating constant celery um the second thing i like about it is the cheese this one has white cheddar it just feels a little fancier mm -hmm. than a diner tuna melt where you get the like bright orange cheese yeah then the third thing i like about it is the bread i am really digging the bread to the point where while i was eating it i went back and looked up who makes this bread <laughs> it is not uh tribeca's they source this bread from a place called Flower Bakery and Cafe with a PH, um, which is in Edgewater. And I've honestly been sort of looking for a local bakery to get 
loaves of bread from. So I'm I would like noting to, that for later. That's a, that's an interesting thing that I don't think that people really think about is like most school most people have to find or most restaurants have to find a local bakery to get their bread for their restaurant from. Right. Some places make their own bread. Yeah. That's not no nobody. No, not but, no, but but a lot of like we go to the jewel to get our bread, but a lot you can't just go to a jewel for a <laughs> like this 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 deli can't just go to a jewel and get their bread. Can't wonder so. bread. Now, did my bun also come from this bakery? Do we think? I don't. I would assume. I am checking. So, it says buttery bun. I think everything but the buttery buns they um, specifically say okay, that so it's from probably, flour. So it's probably sort of so different. It's probably maybe it's just from like restaurants or us. I but don't know. Also, like I'm hung up on my my. I like your your bread. And I say mine. Like we didn't share it. Yeah. But, my, uh, I thought the but- buttery bun was the, was one of the highlights. Yeah, of the buttery sandwich. bun was great. I just really like this bread. It's interesting because it reminds me of Flour Bakery in Boston, which is spelled with an F. Yeah. And this is from a place, Flour with a P-H. Oh, okay. So, uh, but they're not the same. No. If Flour was here, I would eat it every day and we would not have a <laughs> podcast because I would just be eating it every day. Um... I want to tell you, this is the funniest thing I learned researching this episode, is I almost didn't even Google it, because I was like, a tuna melt wouldn't get invented. That's just like an obvious sandwich. Like, you don't say, who invented ham and cheese, right? I mean, every sandwich has to have been invented by somebody. I suppose there was the first person who put, like, turkey on bread, sure, but I think... Tuna melt just feels like it doesn't have an interesting origin story. But I Googled it anyway. And there's an unverifiable legend. So I'm taking it as gospel. Right. That many food historians have since said this is probably inaccurate for any number of reasons. Don't care. We're not a food historian podcast. So we don't care if this is true or false. But the legend is that the tuna melt was invented in the 1960s at a Woolworths in Charleston, South Carolina, when the cook accidentally dropped a bowl of tuna salad onto a grilled cheese sandwich. Ooh, so it's like a, it's like a, your peanut butter's in my chocolate kind of a thing. Exactly. It was not, so there's no proof that this happened. It seems weird to imagine somebody storing tuna above a grill. Um, the other reason why I don't think it's true, I thought about it too much. And when you eat a tuna melt, you put the cheese over the tuna. If you dropped tuna on a grilled cheese, you would have the cheese under the tuna, well, which but, would be less good. But you got you know after you after you do it on accident, then trial and error, you perfect the recipe. Right, like the fried pickle where they started yes. out frying a whole. Yeah, pickle. so like I could see, I think that probably somebody, like, it probably wasn't an accident. It just like came from like a creative mind of like let's mix these things but also i don't think i i'm not the biggest tuna salad fan myself right yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't go around mixing tuna you're not walking around being like what can i put tuna salad exactly yeah exactly yeah i like tuna salad i suppose i'm not either i immediately imagine tuna salad and a few other foods like pizza or spaghetti and i don't want any of them tuna salad pizza tuna salad spaghetti well, you could put tuna in spaghetti, but it would be a different dish. Yeah. I 
enjoyed my tuna sandwich. I next want to ask you how you felt about the broccoli ranch salad. So this is my controversial take on the broccoli ranch. I am very selective of how I eat broccoli. Mm -hmm. I don't like broccoli every every way. Um, I like basically either roasted in the oven or mixed in with Chinese food. And that's about it. And so this was not my preferred preparation of broccoli. Uh, I And I think that that was reinforced by the fact that I only ate like a couple bites of it. Yeah, fair enough. I wouldn't know what to expect from this. I... It was, did you pick this out specifically out of all the side options that they have, or? I did. I picked this for a couple reasons. One was that I wanted to talk about the history of ranch dressing, because I was curious about it. Okay. And two, it just sounded interesting. And then I was reading an article about Tribeca's, and the broccoli ranch salad, in an interview, the chef, Becca Groth, said, or possibly Groth, um, said that the broccoli ranch salad is based on a concoction that she would assemble as a teenager at the Pizza Hut salad bar. Okay. So when I read that, I was like, I am curious. Now, I do remember at times growing up where I would have, where I would just dip broccoli into ranch and eat it. Yeah, that's very normal. As like a vessel of ranch. Right, that's an extremely normal way to eat broccoli. Um, This is interesting because there's so much shredded cheese in it Uh that I wasn't expecting um, based on the description, which does literally say shredded cheddar cheese. But I, I understand now that this is exactly the kind of salad I would also make out of a Pizza Hut salad yeah. bar, where it's largely the cheese, there's some onions, and then the part that I actually really liked, too, was the spiced sunflower seeds that are in there. Oh, I don't know if I, if I got any of those. Yeah, take a look. Um, they add, they're the ones that add the kick to this, oh, I think. Yeah, this definitely does seem like a salad Like, make your own salad bar. Yeah, like a salad bar salad. I used to, speaking of things we used to eat in the school cafeteria, we had a salad bar where it was like, you would weigh it, and then you would pay by the weight. Oh, interesting. I would always, like, drown it in ranch dressing. (laughs) Um, So, the, I was curious what the hell ranch dressing is, right? Because we all know what it is, but we don't know, like, what it is. Or maybe we do. What do you know is in ranch dressing? Uh, what do I know is in ranch dressing? Uh, not a lot, actually. Uh, (laughs) I want you to guess ingredients until you get one wrong. Uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. Mayonnaise. That is an ingredient. It is? That is. Okay. Um, salt and pepper. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Um, water. I don't know. I don't know. Water's in it, actually. I, I mean, it, I, the little packet that you add. Right. To, yeah. You just add to it. If so. you make it from the packet, okay, then I'll give you water and I'll let you keep guessing. The, the packet of to. dry ingredients. Packet is the of dry ingredients. <laughs> so the herbs are commonly chives, parsley, and dill. The spices are commonly pepper, paprika, and ground mustard seed. So we've got six herbs and spices, five more, and you have KFC. Yep. Um, but then the main ingredient is buttermilk. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But but what's the difference between ranch and buttermilk ranch? Because there is, or is there a difference, do you think? I don't think there is a difference because I think you can 
usually it's made for it says usually made from buttermilk but you can also i suppose use sour cream yogurt yeah mayonnaise are some things that are listed here um and the history of ranch dressing it was invented in alaska not or not uh What's the farms? Uh, the Hidden Valley? It, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't in the Hidden Valley? So, yes. The Hidden Valley Ranch is a real place in California. Okay. So, this man, Stephen Henson, invented it in Alaska. I just assumed it was from the Midwest, even though I know Hidden Valley is the name of, like, the iconic ranch dressing. Uh-huh. So, Stephen Henson is technically from Nebraska. He invented it in Alaska. He... <laughs> From Nebraska to Alaska, invented ranch dressing. The reason he invented ranch dressing was he had a plumbing business and he wanted to boost the morale of his plumbing crew. And he said, you know what? Salad dressing. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's re- well, not, we won't- Salad dressing will get the boys going. Look, we don't want to give them like a living wage or we don't want to like pay them extra we're going to invent a salad dressing. No for overtime, us. just a salad dressing you can only get at work. Yeah. Okay. That's... So that was when he invented it. And it was apparently so successful that his plumbing business made so much money that he retired at the age of 35. Oh, hell yeah. So maybe did, bosses, wait. if you're listening, if you want to motivate your employees, invent a new salad dressing. Did they. I'm just confused because was it the, the the people be like, ooh, I hear this plumbing company has a great brand new salad dressing. Let's hire them for our plumbing. Yeah, I don't think. I think what probably happened is that Ranch was not a major factor in this, and he was yeah. just the only plumber in Alaska. <laughs> or that Ranch took off, and he. Well, no, Ranch didn't take off until after he retired. Speaking of people inventing sandwiches because they're bored. What happened is he retired from plumbing at the old age of 35, moved to California. To the Hidden Valley? Yeah, then he moved to Hidden Valley Ranch, which was his home in California. And then he just didn't have anything to do because he was retired, so he started making ranch dressing again. And people were like, you should sell this. And so that's when they started making the packets of ranch, and it took off in popularity. So the packets became... Or it came before the dressing. I think he invented the dressing, but then when he sold it, he sold it in packets because it was easier to transport to tra- to, to send it in the mail, probably. Yeah. But I think he was also making ranch dressing. I think he started out making it for his friends, then he started making it for a restaurant that his friend owned, and then when they said let's mass market this, that's when they invented ranch packets. Okay, and. I was interested to learn about ranch dressing because ranch dressing is one of the foods that is extremely American. Oh, yeah. I had a uh, friend that went abroad and he asked for people to send ranch in the mail to him. Yeah. If you get cool ranch Doritos in many European countries, they're called cool American. Yeah. Because ranch isn't a flavor. It's not. People are familiar with outside of the U.S. Yeah. And. Ranch and peanut butter are the two. Yeah. We always say American is apple pie, but we should just be like American American is ranch ranch. dressing and peanut butter. (laughs) But it is like, it also like, I don't know if you had people growing up that you knew that. Didn't know anyone. That were basically just, uh, would put ranch on anything. Any food was the vehicle for ranch. Yeah, that's a thing. 
Yeah, that's a very, like, Midwestern thing, I feel. Everybody says it's Midwestern, but I think that it happens, like, everywhere in America. I think lots of people just really like ranch dressing. Yeah. Um, and what's not to like? It has almost as many herbs and spices as KFC. I don't like it as much on a salad. Mm. Because if I'm having ranch dressing, I like it being dipped. I like it for wings. I like it for things, but if I'm doing a salad, I generally like a lighter, like, Italian or something. Sure, like a vinaigrette. Do you... Yeah. So if you get wings, yes. do you dip it in the sauce and then the ranch? Yes. Alright. So your ranch just gets full of sauce. Or vice versa. I'll dip it in the ranch and, and then, then the, the sauce. sauce so then your then you, sauce gets ranchy. Well, well, but it's my sauce in my ranch, so that's my god. That's my god-given <laughs> right as an American. I right to put my sauce in my ranch. That's my right as an American. So, the to, Second Amendment to sauce my ranch. Um, yeah, <laughs> that is absolutely fair. So, I any think, oh, I think back to back to the what we're eating, the salad we're eating. I think that we are. Uh, I think that this is not something that I would order mm-hmm. which is why i'm glad that you order for me for for when we do this because mm-hmm. i would see this on the i would see this on the deli like sheet and be like i want the fries or the chips so yeah. i wouldn't order this i would have normally gotten the fries yeah but we already had fries but i think this is i think this is uh it's a good it was a good it was a good not for me salad. A good not for me salad. A salad that you're happy somebody else likes. Yes, I'm happy that people like this, and I'm pro ranch. Yeah, I liked the salad, but I am a more uh, friendly to broccoli than you, you are. are. You are. So, last thing, speaking of interesting sides, how do you feel about the baked potato donut? You know, I was excited about the baked potato donut, given the, our, do you want to go into our, like, recent history with savory donuts yeah and that is actually why i ordered this so first of all it's actually called baked pote donut oh, okay. so we don't need to repeat the syllable dough i would oh, okay <laughs> baked, baked pote donut baked potato donut um but i i was excited because we've had really good savory donuts recently yep uh I, this was not as savory as I wanted it to be, right. but, which also may, but for, that's also a me thing because I don't really like donuts. Right. So this is, I was really curious to try this because this is a potato donut. Yes. So um, Becca Groth, as I said, is the chef of Tribeca's. Uh-huh. She's the Becca in Tribeca. Tribeca. Um, her husband is the donut maker. And His name is Donut or Tri. No, his name is Ka- her. His name is Cam Warren. Oh. It's not in the name Tribeca okay. anywhere. Um, <laughs> so he he makes potato donuts specifically. I'm under the moniker Tubers Donuts, and so most of the donuts on the menu are sweet. Yes, this was the one that was savory, and it's basically a potato donut that's. As minimally sweet as a donut could be, there but it's was, still sweet. There was some sugar on it, though, and so it didn't. It didn't. It wasn't what I was expecting biting into it because of a, if I thought it was a, I was expecting it to just be like 
a roll or a bun. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of expecting it to be a little less donutty. Yeah. But I suppose I did technically specifically order a donut, so I can't yeah. fault it for no, being a donut. I, I can't fault something for being what it is just because it's not what I want it to be. For sure, for sure. Yeah, that's a good lesson for people. That's a good lesson for relationships yes. and food. You can't fault the potato donut for not being... Look, a potato donut... A potato... Look, a relationship is like a potato donut. Sometimes you're going <laughs> to sometimes, some, sometimes you want someone to be a potato, but they're a potato donut. Yep. And you just have to accept them the way they are. You have to expect the it they for are. the sugar that it brings. Yeah, I mean, it brings a lot of uniqueness to the table. It is more interesting than a loaded baked potato. It's basically a donut made from potato... With right. loaded baked potato toppings on it. So you've got your sour cream, chives, and I, bacon. And I would have just ordered a baked potato. <laughs> yes, except they do not sell a baked potato. Well. But I was curious about this. Yes. And it was really unique. Definitely not something I've eaten anything too similar to before. For sure. Um, we did have some really good savory donuts yes. in Boston. But that surprisingly... Maybe one of the best things. It's it's up there in the best things I've eaten all year. Yeah, category. I would agree. The sunchoke donuts, um, from Spoke. The, yes, those in are Somerville. Yeah, those. It's uh, sunchoke donuts with Gruyere or Gouda. I, I forget. It's one of the, <laughs> I didn't look it, this it, up. It really, it's a G cheese, and then it has leek powder on and top. And it was so good. My mouth. We just ate. My mouth's already watering. For <laughs> But that's, Gouda, Gouda. But I, I think that it, it. I think that that ruined what a donut could be for me. Yeah, now you just want every donut to be this specific donut Savory, made from cheesy. a different vegetable. Yeah. Barely a donut, really, but no, it, it the right not, shape. It was not a donut, but it was so good. So what we're learning is Dylan likes donuts that are not donuts. Yes, I and, and I and I fault the donut for not being the donut that I like it to be. It's yes. a, it's a, it's it's a, it's a conundrum. Yeah. So in conclusion, yes. I would say really enjoyed this meal. I ordered a little bit creatively because I wanted to try some of the weirder stuff on the menu and I'm glad we did because I thought they were really interesting. Yeah. And I, and I'm totally understanding of why this was one of the biggest openings yeah, of the year. This is a pretty popular uh, spot. Yeah, so the history is that Becca, the chef, uh, was originally working at Honey Butter Fried Chicken. Yes. Which I know you've heard I, of. I, I know that. That's a very popular Yeah, place. so she was a chef there, and she was also just doing sandwiches on the side, and Honey Butter Fried Chicken basically, I think, helped her, like, was supportive and getting yeah. her set up. Oh, so it's like the Momofuku milk bar, kind of. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think they're they're very supportive. It's in Avondale, so it's in the neighborhood of Honey Butter Fried Chicken. Basically, it's near Belmont and Elston, and Honey Butter Fried Chicken's a little bit further north on Elston. So they're neighbors, and um, I thought what I really enjoyed about this, and what I, why I thought this was go- a good fit for the podcast, is she is from a place called Galesburg, Illinois, which is one of the 31 towns with a maid right. Okay. Hence the made wrong sandwich. Yep. Um, but I think it, that what I really thought was fun about this menu is she took a lot of the food that she ate growing up, which reminded us of very like American like cafeteria foods, 
Yeah. And made it, like, fancy and interesting. Yeah. Would you say that this is... So this is not a dinner place because they closed by, like, 7. Yeah, they closed so, at 7.30. It's more of a lunch place. So, yeah. And, and I do feel and like... And they have brunch. I do feel like this is a good... This would be a good if you, like, worked in the neighborhood, like, mm-hmm. going there and getting a, a bite to eat. And I feel like that is a... That is a underrated quality in a restaurant because I feel like you would it would take you a long time to get tired of this food because it seems like they have a lot of variety. Yeah, absolutely. They have a they have a menu with a ton of variety. They have some vegetarian sandwiches, a tofu cubano. And I say this, I say that just as the person who, where I work, I am so tired of all the food around where I work. Mm-hmm. So like a, a good lunch spot is. It's underrated. Yeah, if, if this was near where I lived, I would be getting lunch a lot, for sure. Yeah. So speaking of things that I would eat more if they were more accessible, <laughs> we did two tasting menus this month. We did. And I think we should talk about them. Okay, let's talk about them. Uh, the first one was at the Golden Corral. No, uh, <laughs> we did a 14-course Golden Corral meal. Yes. What? Where did we eat this month? So we ate at Wazwan's The Coach House. Yeah. So Wazwan is an Indian street food restaurant in Wicker Park, and they have a tasting menu venue behind the street food venue called The Coach House. And we had an eight-course meal. And it's interesting because I didn't know this when we ate there, but Wazwan is actually a word for a multi-course meal in Kashmir. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, so it's a it's a huge banquet. And the chef at Wazwan is Chef Zubair Mohajir, which... Who we met, who we met and talked to afterwards. Yeah, he was super nice. And we had also tried his food at uh, the, the Mexican-Indian fusion the, uh, meal at Barcetano. The, the Rick Bayless. Uh, where we saw Rick Bayless. That, that we referenced last episode. Yes, two episodes two ago episode now. Ago. Um, the one where we confused him with a sloth. Yes. Yep, and so I was super excited to try. That was another really big opening this year in Chicago. And I knew, I going into it knew that it was going to be really fun because whenever... I think that whenever it's a small room and it's, like, very much, like, everybody is eating at the same time, it generally lends itself to a good good dining experience. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was basically one room. Every table sat at the same time and pretty much got our food at the same time. Yeah. So it, it felt very communal, but it wasn't all the way to we're sitting at a communal table. No, yeah, we weren't all at the bar and, like, awkwardly having to, like, talk to people we didn't know. But, uh, but it was like, and, and the, and it was only like a three person, three or four person staff mm-hmm. for the whole thing. Yeah. 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 So that's what cool. were, what was maybe the top memorable dishes for you? I think the most memorable was the duck that we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have what the duck is? 100%. Yeah. Uh, and the duck, the duck was sublime. The duck is like. I was when I was reading reviews, everybody was saying just go for the duck alone. Yeah, this duck was amazing. It was called duck Numidian, and it was with red rice kitschti, which is a rice and lentil base, and then there was also a sauce made with dates. I also think that like the duck with the experience because uh, the chef uh, he would talk go to tables throughout, but when the duck meal came up, he. Uh, basically just gave a monologue about the what his basically he gave a, a speech uh, about his philosophy and what 
what he does with what he does in the kitchen and why it's so important to him. And afterwards, I felt like, have you seen the movie Independence Day? Uh, when it came out, it so. seems like there was there's a speech in the movie Independence Day that he gets like to get everybody hyped up to fight aliens. Like, <laughs> this, you were ready to fight aliens was, after this, he served the duck this, and described while it. While we were eating the duck, he was giving this speech about how like passionate and you could really tell how passionate he was about the food yeah and i was like i want to go fight aliens <laughs> and then instead of eating dessert we all left and fought, an alien. all fought aliens i um no i thought it was one of the things that was in the speech and it was really interesting and i think where he was going with it is that the the dish he found in a cooking text from like 100 bc right and he found a copy of this text that exists today, and it has the recipe for this duck. And it was just, I think, I, I really love that of, like, it, it's, it's connecting us through time and space. Eating this dish that people were eating in Spain, like, 2,000 years ago. And yeah. the people have continued to eat cross-culturally. I mean, people have been eating duck in all kinds of contexts, but I think this specific dish has been passed down through so many generations well, and, and were, across so many geographies. You, you were kind of talking about that with the, with the with the tuna sandwich, where it's just like some things, it's like, yeah, it's a no-brainer that this is a thing that is made, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have an origin story because it's just always been there. Yeah. But uh, plates and dishes and tastes change, and so it's cool to, like, eat... And I've seen a lot of cookbooks that are, like, early America cookbooks. But mm-hmm. this is, like, straight up 7,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. So, I, I, I liked it. It was great. He also showed us a copy of the cookbook and said that uh, to get a copy now, it's, like, a $500 on Amazon for one yeah. of those cookbooks. Yeah. No, I thought it was interesting. It was cool to see the cookbook. It was really, really, really delicious. I really liked the mixing in a little bit of the dates with the other bites and everything combined really well together. Yeah. Uh, I also liked, I mean, I, it, this is a, this is a cheat, the cheating for me, but to, to get to my heart, have an oyster dish, have a, have a fresh oysters. Yeah. Start with an oyster. And that was good because that oyster had a lot of toppings, Yeah, but you could still taste the oyster, which is sometimes I, I don't like it when my oyster is so drenched in toppings that you don't taste the oyster. Yeah, I I have a, when I have a tendency to go overboard on like the the vinaigrette and stuff when I'm making it myself. So I appreciated somebody putting detail and emphasis on here's what I want it to taste like rather than just me putting as much horseradish as possible. Yeah, just on it. eating like horseradish with like a little salt water. Yeah. <laughs> I I was really excited that the menu had a version of Panipuri on it because Panipuri is one of my favorite Indian snacks. Oh. It's the it was the second course, the sort of very thin circle, and when you eat Panipuri traditionally, right, and you have these little spheres and you poke a hole, it and then a, you it put, was like the liquid the liquid yeah. thing. Yeah, so it was it was already it was already filled. It was ready to go. You just put it in your mouth and ate it, and it had fish in it. Usually the filling is chickpeas and some spicy goodness. There was a lot of good, like, fish elements. Like, there was, we had caviar, one of them had caviar and another one had a roe, like a Mm -hmm, salmon mm -hmm. roe. 
And so I think, like, it, it was very good balance of, like, salt, acidic, spice. Like, it was very, I, I was very happy with Yeah, everything. it was, it was, like, when it was spicy, it was, like, very thoughtfully spicy. Like, it wasn't blowing out your palate, but it was still very flavorful. I was also learned for the first time about Farah. That was the course that reminded us of gnocchi. Yeah. Farah is a North Indian lentil dumpling. And texturally, it's really similar to gnocchi. And you can use it in a dish kind of the same way because the dish we had had mushrooms, black truffle, cashew butter. And so it was this creamy sauce with mushrooms. And then the dumpling... Like, if you hadn't told me it was Farah, I would never have known it wasn't gnocchi. And that was the right amount of, like, richness. It was so mm-hmm. rich, but also, like, it was evened out by, I felt like, the the mushroom sauce or what, whatever the sauce right. was. Right, yeah, like. yeah, yeah. And it was cashew butter, which I feel like isn't going to be as heavily rich as, like, butter butter. Yeah. Yeah. And the chef, I just wanted to say, because I wrote this in my notes, the, the chef from Wazwan has killer credentials. He worked at Bouchon, which is a, I forget if it's one or two Michelin star restaurant in California that's French. And then he worked at Gagan. So Gagan, you've probably heard of, it's the Indian restaurant in Bangkok that was on so many lists of like best places to eat in the world. And I think we watched an episode of... Of like Ugly Delicious. Or yeah, like was, yeah. Yeah. And... I when I went to Bangkok a couple years ago, it had just closed. <laughs> I went to make a reservation and it was like August is our last month. And I was so mad that I haven't I never got a chance to eat there. Well. But at least I got to eat got this. To eat this. <laughs> it was This was really good. Um, it was super good. Oh, I liked the dessert too. I want to call that out. Um, Which was the dessert? The dessert was, it was buko pandan, so it's like the, it was like tapioca, I think there was, yeah, there was like a pudding, and then pandan is, um, fun fact, is also called screw pine, and it's a leafy tropical plant, and then it's, it was used to make the bright green jelly that was in it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, That was, that was good. And, And it wasn't like, and again, my bar is... Uh, desserts seem to be all about my taste buds and not other people's <laughs> taste buds. Back but, to the relationship issue. Yep. You can't make a dessert a savory course. You can, uh, but but also it wasn't like super overpowering sweet too. It <laughs> was it was a good it was a solid thing. Um, any anything else about this restaurant you want to tell people? No, I think um, go there. But I think that's that's the basically the highlights. And then I just wanted to touch on our second tasting so, menu. So let's let's make this second tasting menu what's cooking good, Dylan. Okay, because well, it's because it's uh, near and dear to my heart. Okay, so what's cooking good, Dylan? Well, Liz, when we were in Oklahoma, we didn't do a Oklahoma episode of the podcast because we were busy. Going out to eat with my parents for your birthday. That's true. And we ate at, and you've done the research on it. <laughs> it's called, it was, I don't know how to speak French, but it's called Fait Maison, um, which means homemade. Cool. I did look that up. And you gotta say with like an Oklahoma tw- twang, like Fait Mason. Fait Mason. Fait Mason. Yep. I don't know. Is, is that an Oklahoma? Fait Mason. Fait Mason. So it's Fait Maison. Fait Maison. I don't know. Ha ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Um, 
So it's um, it's in Edmond, Oklahoma, which is where you're from. Yep. And I quoted the website because I thought this was really funny. It says, we opened Faye Maison November 16th, 2017, after an 11 and a half month renovation to a building that once housed Mark's menswear. Oh, yeah. It is the perfect setting for a French restaurant. That's a sentence. I mean, it was a beautiful space. Like, I'm not denying that it was, like, a beautiful space that felt like a French restaurant, but it's hilarious that they're like, Mark's Menzer, the perfect place for a French restaurant. I remember growing up when that space was a dry cleaners. Oh, okay. So it was a dry cleaners uh, all through my childhood because it was right next to, like, a French spot where everybody ate. And so I just, it was weird that I was like, oh yeah, this is a very fancy restaurant. But to me, that's a dry cleaner spot. (laughs) It's like there's a restaurant in Cambridge, Massachusetts that like, it's been a fancy restaurant for 20 years. But when I first got there, it was a Burger King. And so every time I see it, I'm like, that was a Burger King. It it, like, it, it could be... And I guess this is another metaphor for people where if you meet somebody in a certain time, you have to like be able to move on if they change instead of being like, you'll always be a Burger King to me. Yeah, yeah, you, you, uh, you outgrow, hopefully everybody outgrows being a dry cleaners. Yeah, or a Burger King. (laughs) But, and if you, if somebody you know used to be a Burger King and now they're a fancy restaurant. Accept that and don't say you're a dry cleaner. You're always, you always been Burger King and you're always going to be Burger King. Yeah, and if you drop off your dry cleaning at Fate Maison, it won't get clean. Um, I think. Should we talk about the meal? We could talk about the meal. uh, And then we'll talk about the meal and then I want to talk about our our experience. So go go ahead and lead us in the meal. Great. So the we we had a lot of things that were really good. My, maybe my favorite thing was the butternut squash soup just because that's. That's something that I like, and it's a re- it was a really, really excellent version of that. It was creamy. It was flavorful. I really like that. They also had a really nice duck. I was going to say, my favorite, I don't want to be a broken record, and maybe I just really love duck, <laughs> but my favorite thing was the, the duck course, and it was great. It was very, like, I love duck, I feel, and... Good duck is amazing. Yeah, and the, so at Wazwan, the duck was on the bone. At Fate Maison, it was a duck breast. Yes. And then it had that beautiful skin. Yeah. And like, it like, was so good. And I think that's what I love about duck is it's got such a crispy skin, mm-hmm. but then it, the fat and everything just makes it so juicy on the inside. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I'm salivating <laughs> thinking about duck. We're going to name this episode Duck, Duck, Loose Meat. Duck, Duck, Loose Meat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, the other, then the couple of things, I mean, there was a, there was a course that was beans with mushrooms, and I enjoyed that a lot because as discussed, I love beans. Um, Yep. But then the, I, the one that I think is most polarizing between us is the Lobster Royale, which was like a lobster mousse in a cream, creamy sauce. Yes. I, that was because I could only have a couple bites of mine. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I liked the lobster flavor, but it was so decadent. Yes, it was. It was so rich, and I think that I'm not really like a person who French food is made for because 
they seem to always try, French food seems to always try to be just as like heavy and cream filled yeah. and rich as possible. Cream and butter and just super rich. Yeah. And um I well I think it's interesting because I think our culture western culture prizes French cuisine yeah. as the pinnacle of cuisine. And I like French food. I think it's great. But I think it's just one out of many very think, worthy cuisines. Do we think that that's because of colonization? Probably. That that we hold French food high up because it's what was spread around the world? Oh, for sure. I think I think we prize, like, Western food and specifically, like, Western European food and specifically colonizer food because... Yeah people colonized the world and they were just like, I still want to eat my food. Exactly. Or I'm yeah. going to take this food and make it mine. Yeah. Um, so it's the, the history of that, the, the, I, I think, I think what I'm trying to say is that the history of why we prize French cuisine is not great. And I think no. it's good that the food world is kind of moving away from that and saying there are any number of acceptable ways to, make and eat food but i think like i don't have a problem with this restaurant i don't have a problem with french food no 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 and i'm not saying you are i'm just saying like i think i think there can be room for every type of cuisine including french and like the chef was from france so in the same way that becca is making midwestern pizza hut salad he's making the food that he probably that's what was familiar with growing up and that's the the crazy story about this so my mom this story is amazing so my mom was like hey the the host is gonna or the 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 woman who owns it is going to like come over and talk and we'll pull because it's oklahoma everybody uh wants to talk to everybody (laughs) and so she came over i think we were eating our like duck and she came over and no less than 30 minutes told us her entire story how she uh was like divorced with adult kids had a started playing online video games clash of clans specifically started playing clash of clans on and this is not a woman who is in the age group that I would think would be playing online video games. She's not my first choice of Clash of Clans demographic. And so she, like, started playing with this French guy. I mean, to be fair, French chef is also not in my imagined Clash of Clans demographic. And they started talking, and they were in, like, they played all the time together, and she flew over to France to, like, meet him, and they fell in love and then she convinced him to come back to Oklahoma with her and open up a French restaurant. And it's been happy ever since. It seems like it. She was it, it's happy. She was happy to tell. She loves telling the story. He was not happy when she dragged him out to our <laughs> table because which is also a very Oklahoma thing is forcing your husband to do something you, he doesn't want to do. <laughs> He was super nice, but he clearly they they clearly have a division of labor where she greets the guests and is social, and he makes really good food in the kitchen, which makes a lot of sense. We're, as we've discussed, and this will be a future topic probably of uh, restaurant wars <laughs> of uh, top chef. There are some people with the skill to be front of the house, and there are others where they just want to cook. Yeah, front of the house is an absolute skill, and. Not everybody has it or wants it. Yeah, and it doesn't justify, and you shouldn't be eliminated from a cooking show for not having good front of house skills. But I digress. And that's Dylan's hottest take about Top Chef. But 
but I think that this particular uh, worked out very well because it was exactly. It would have been weird to go to a French restaurant in Oklahoma and it be like, we're very fancy and snooty and we take everything so seriously. Mm-hmm. I think that it was like, yes. There is a very nice lady that will tell every single guest her life story. And that's probably why she wanted to start a restaurant to begin with, was so she b- could be social with everybody. Probably. I mean, it's interesting because I was thinking about the this talk with her versus the talk at Wazwan, which you said made you want to fight aliens. And I feel like this talk at the Oklahoma restaurant, I don't know, maybe motivated me to play Clash of Clans. Yeah. I haven't played it. <laughs> no, I think that... I think it's it, it's also just a weird. It's I think that there is a difference in the location of this restaurant because if this restaurant were in Chicago, they would have to do things a little bit differently. But mm-hmm. I feel like you're you're allowed a little bit of like casualness being the only fancy French restaurant in Edmond, Oklahoma. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't find it to be casual. No. It was like the setting was fancy, the food was fancy. I think it was just the chit chat was a yeah. little more uh, personal, which I love, which was great. I, I love it when they come and talk. I with like us. talking to people like they are people and not just like waiting on us. Exactly. I think that that's my biggest. That's my biggest thing about like, along with like, what is what is the ambiance like? It's like if if everybody is chill and wants to like talk and like drop the thing of like. You're serving me. I'm eating your food and paying. Like it, I like fr- friendship. Exactly. Friendship with, friendship with the people. Yeah, and they still did a lot of the hallmarks of like yeah. classic good service. And you wouldn't be able to tell like the food was in Oklahoma. You could you mm-hmm. could say that it was. Well, like, it wasn't a giant hunk of meat. Yeah, which is what, which is what going out for a nice meal growing up was. It was we're going to Cattleman's Steakhouse. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've eaten lots of things in Oklahoma that aren't a huge steak, but that's my stereotype. And you're just yeah. like, yeah, obviously Cattleman's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know the exact steakhouse that, that we uh, that we would go to for <laughs> weddings and graduations and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm all for it. I'm happy that there's cool shit that's, that's popping up in my hometown. I'm happy that people are finding love on video games and moving countries. That is a good, that is a good story. Yeah. I think we've given a lot of relationship advice today. Yeah. Uh, you should all be chopped meats and ducks and, uh, (laughs) don't expect a potato donut to be a potato. Don't be a donut for, if you want, if, you want to be a potato. I think that's No, my that's advice. not. <laughs> don't be a donut if you want to be a potato. If you want to be a potato. I'm saying don't try to change your donut into a potato. Don't go chasing donut falls. <laughs> Stick to the baked potatoes you used, used to. to. There it is. There you go. That's the, that's the summary for today. This was fun. This is great. I'm going to eat some more tuna. listening let me tell you a rundown of all the places we talked about so you can go eat all the tuna you love um so first of all we got carry out today from tribeca's sandwich shop 
which is at 2949 West Belmont Avenue in the Avondale neighborhood of Chicago. We um, talked about the bread that they used for the sandwich. If you're a bread head and you want some bread, we that bread was from Flour with a PH Bakery and Cafe, which is in Edgewater at 1138 West Bryn Mawr Avenue in Chicago. A um, bonus if you want to, if you're in the Boston area and you want those sunchoke donuts we mentioned, that's at Spoke Wine Bar in Davis Square at 89 Holland Street, Somerville, Massachusetts. Um, in terms of the tasting menus we went to, um, Coach House by Wazwan is at 1742 West Division Street in Chicago. We haven't eaten at Wazwan proper yet, but we think it's probably amazing and the tasting menu at Coach House was fantastic. If you find yourself in Edmond, Oklahoma, um, Fate Maison is at 152 East 5th Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, or just ask somebody for the dry cleaners. And feel free to like and subscribe our podcast. Yeah, give us a give us a review if you enjoyed it, um, and tune in next week. <laughs>